So we have a few firsts this week. We have our first British film and our first film set in a university. So that's quite exciting. And we go straight into meeting our teacher this week who is Dr. Frank Bryan, who yet again is an English teacher, but is an English lecturer this time. Yeah. And we get a very clear sense of who he is from a very simple image, which is him walking into his study filled with books, takes a book out, behind the book is whiskey and he starts drinking. Did you notice that all the books that they went through were all by male authors? Absolutely. So this was made, I think it was 85, 86, like, or, or maybe even earlier than that, but certainly like mid 80s, right? Mm -hmm. So in the university at that time, I think it's probably quite believable that it, again, very similar to stuff we talked about before in English. They're learning all the canonical authors, Blake and Shelley and Byron and all the romantics and stuff. So very undiverse, didn't really seem to be a concern because I guess at this point this was just as cultural criticism mm -hmm. was coming into universities so at the time actually University of Birmingham was a huge part of why people started analysing race more in terms of society because mm. they had that whole tradition of doing so um, with various academics but this is a quite stuffy institution isn't it yes. but that doesn't happen I actually studied this play at school so that's where I was introduced to educating Rita so it didn't feel too alien to me and we watched the film as well so for me, this was revisiting rather than watching for the first time. So I first watched this film when I was doing my open university degree because I wanted to watch it. Um, and I relate to it, I think, on two levels. One, I really relate to Rita because she has this thirst for knowledge, doesn't she? She's really hungry for education. Mm. And it's all really off her own back. And I really... I felt the same, that's why I did my OU degree, you know, I, I dropped out of a traditional uni, I didn't have a very good time, I kind of failed, but I knew that I really wanted to pursue education and I did English literature as mm. well, um, so I can really relate to that and her kind of feeling out of place in her community, although I think I would say, although I'm from a, I would say a working class background, I feel like she seems like she's from a, a more rundown area where there's mm. not as much going on. Liverpool was really gutted in the 80s, wasn't it? Because of Thatcher in a way that Birmingham was impacted, but not quite as gutted as communities up north were, I think. Mm. And I secondly relate to it as well because she has such a sense of imposter syndrome in this university. Yes. She really does not feel like she fits in at all. And I can relate to that as well, particularly when I then went back and did a doctoral degree at a red brick uni. I, very, I felt like this a lot. <laughs> I felt like I'd suddenly become very brummy around... Yeah you know Oxbridge types although I guess we'll come to it that she learns to assimilate and she really wants to assimilate she's hungry for knowledge but she's also hungry to be better than yeah. to be so I think initially it's like she wants to just she wants opportunity and she can't relate to the people she's around she doesn't just want to go to the pub and like go to the footy and whatever she yeah. needs more but then she learns snobbery doesn't she and she learns conceit I think the other thing that we've got to take note of is this was in an era where open university was very much a new thing like the lessons were done through late night TV. That's the way it would work is you would VHS tape them wouldn't yeah, you from the TV? absolutely. Or if you were a student because you could set the recorder yeah. couldn't you? Yeah and I think the idea was that it was almost like an advert for that generation and that time era. If you didn't get to go to uni when you were younger for whatever reason here's your opportunity and look at this working class woman who is pursuing this and I think it's very much that time when things were changing about who educate, further education, higher education was for 
Um, and so it was almost like, if you miss your opportunity because it wasn't the norm for you back then, here is your opportunity because she's 26 years old. Well, while she's getting pressure to have a baby, not just from her husband, from her dad as well, you know, she's pursuing and she's, she's clearly, she always says the words, I'm trying to find myself. And I think it's giving the audience a sense of, it's okay if you don't know what you're doing with your life at the age of 26. Look at this woman who's finding her way. And it's very topical for the time frame, isn't it? It that is, it yeah. And you're right. You can place it very much in a moment in time when going to uni wasn't the norm. Whereas mm. now, I think, although it's still not the norm for a lot of communities and people, mm. it isn't that big a deal for working class kids to go to university, Absolutely really. Not. It's it's pretty commonplace now. Yeah, um, Whereas she's really at the forefront of that, isn't she? All the other students, I mean, they're students like I've never seen. They turn up to lectures in suits and, mm. and they're all incredibly posh and very pretentious and it, it's, it really does seem the university is a middle class space that she does just does not belong in. They see her in the window at one point and they are literally just laughing at her, at the idea of someone like her at university is laughable mm. to them. Mm. And it's still very much like that. I mean, one of the reasons why I struggled so much during my PhD in terms of imposter syndrome is because especially when you get to the doctoral level, Everyone is very middle class, very privileged, and like, you didn't fit in at all, and it's quite mm. difficult, I think. But we've kind of jumped the a little bit. So we meet Dr. Brian, and we get uh, the impression very quickly that he's very jaded about teaching, Absolutely. about his subject, about mm -hmm. the purpose of it. So he's kind of, we learn later, uh, I hate to use the word failed, it's such a final word, but he's a poet who hasn't been creative for a very long time, yeah. if we could say he's that. Given up. He doesn't seem to see the point at all in the degrees that he's teaching. He mm -hmm. thinks it's completely... Like, there's no worth or value in it. He seems to hate his students. Until we meet Judy Waters, who's doing the Open Uni program. She's really called Susan, but she's rebranded herself. I love narratives like this. I love narratives where people decide they're going to rebrand themselves. Yep. So okay. she's named herself Rita Mae Brown after... Yeah. Is it Rita Mae Brown? She's named herself Rita after Rita Mae Brown. Yeah, sorry, yeah, sorry, you're right. Sorry, she's named herself Rita after the writer of Ruby Fruit Jungle. She was a huge fan of this book. And I think she looks great when we first see her. Bubble, bubble kind of haircut with like pink streaks in it. Yeah, white she, shoes. She, but she also very clearly, the way she's dressed, you know, the white shoes is definitely, I think, at this in this era, a signal of lower classness, right? Like the white stiletto Essex girl yeah. stereotype. So she, she's not dressed in the conservative kind of manner of everyone yeah. else. To her. She looks fun. Yeah, it's fun dressing, not your stiff, smart wear. Can we talk about Frank for a second? He uses the fact that he's meeting her to get out of a dinner invite that his partner has put on. And for me, I think he's uncomfortable being upper class in his position in, in the, on the social ladder mm -hmm. because he just doesn't enjoy the stuff that comes with it. I think this is a very anti-middle class film and there's something about the middle classes, I think, that often spikes the ire of people. Upper class people are very comfortable in their position, right? They know they're wealthy, they've inherited wealth and they don't feel the need to prove anything. Anything, mm. whereas middle class people often are not quite so secure in their position and so middle classness I think is often seen to come with a lot of pretense and conceit and mm. snobbery mm. and gatekeeping and he clearly hates all of that shit and that's why he likes Rita so much because she's so refreshing to him she just doesn't care about stuff like that she just says what she thinks in an unfiltered unpretentious way right so she sees the painting in his office and she says oh very erotic isn't it look at those tits like he loves that he loves that she just uses language without second guessing herself or or trying to prove something yeah. so they're quite relaxed with each other on the on the word go yeah and we see also he hates the middle classes he hates his social scene but she hates hers as well they're mm. both fish out of water she says she hates how prudish the masses are she uses the word the masses 
meaning yeah. all the people she's growing up around. She wants to go up and he just kind of wants out, yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, he does say that educated people swear the most anyways. It's her. She says, you know, the upper classes, the, the truly ar the aristocrats are always, oh, fucking this and fucking that. It's the yeah, middle yeah, classes, or, or sorry, the masses, sorry, she says, who are always policing bad language, yeah. right? And she just wants to say the swear word she wants to say. I feel like everything we need to know about this time period is the fact that we see this moment. She works in a hairdresser's and one of her customers comes in and says, I want to look like that. And what, whose picture does she have? Uh, Princess Di. Princess Di. Like she's the peak beauty icon yeah. of this and era, she, right? There is no way she would have to have millions of pounds worth of plastic surgery just to look like that. Because everything about her aesthetics is completely obvious, Which is the right? joke, right? She's like this yeah. like slightly dumpy, like 50-year-old woman. And she's like, I want to be Princess Di. Brunette. The, you know, brunette. aesthetically, she is the opposite of yeah. Princess Di in every way. Exactly. But I think Rita, you, you like her immediately, right? Because she's energetic and she's vivacious. And what's interesting about about her is that she doesn't have the confidence to learn things for herself right so mm -hmm. the open unit I guess at this point must have worked where you would have lecturers so you would go in and have like a tutor so when I did it it was all online so I never met my tutors it was all email communication however you would have had someone assigned to you yes, as a tutor absolutely well, I did have tutors yeah for each module that I did so he's her tutor and she doesn't know she left school really early which I think was pretty typical of her generation like my parents my dad left school when he was 40 she knows that she doesn't know enough to even know what she doesn't know if that makes sense she does need a guide she wants a mentor and he seems to enjoy that role at first right mm -hmm. which is why there's so much tension later when she supersedes that and actually knows enough to teach herself he doesn't like that really he wants yeah. he wants to be the leader and he, but he does say that he's he actually tries to get out of it doesn't he, he says i'm an appalling teacher i because i have appalling students i know nothing actually which in one sense i think it's quite a wise position to know that you know nothing i honestly feel like after doing a phd i feel like what i've learned is how little my knowledge is and that's fine that is a position of, of, of wisdom in a sense of just mm. knowing you actually know very little about the world and about yeah. life and you know and you always will you're a tiny little grain but he has it more as a kind of to her it's almost an affront he's in this office filled with books and she's like how can you say you know nothing you know everything he has everything that she wants to possess and i think that's quite typical of students and their teachers i feel like whenever we start a new topic my students are so filled with so many questions the expectation is that I know the answers to every single one of their questions mm -hmm. yeah I get this all the time because I'm a doctor as soon as I <laughs> acknowledge that I don't know something which happens all of the time they're like and you have a PhD. That's the first thing they'll say. Yeah. You have a PhD. They think that means you know, like you're a computer, like you know absolutely everything. And it's quite, like colleagues will come to me and they'll say, oh, do you know this technical term in literature? And I'll be like, no, I don't. Like, mm. you know, because uh, PhDs are so small and like I, I focus on a tiny little thing, a tiny it's element of literature. It's very specific, isn't it? It's extremely specific. Yeah. So people assume, you know, everything. They assume I've read every Shakespeare it's play. It's actually I the know opposite, every right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know a lot about YA novels published between 2005 and 2015, which is useless <laughs> like to everyone. But that's what I know about you know and they gave him a doctorate people. and they paid they for gave it. him a doctorate he's the equivalent of a medical doctor here i'm in an, an unusual position here in that i have taught in a university and i've taught in a school and the difference is staggering to me because in school you get so much feedback so much preparation so much pedagogy that you're it, certainly in my teach first program you know i've had a lot of stuff like that and that's probably the most basic one you can do right in a pgc i imagine it's even more intense in terms of the prep you get whereas trust me when i tell you at a university you get given a class and that's it <laughs> that's literally it to be honest my experience as a student made me understand that especially after i started teaching and i realized how much preparation 
as a, a classroom teacher goes against a lecturer. I mean, quite often, if my lecturer didn't feel like turning up, he'd cancel the lectures. Yeah, it's it's weird. It's such a weird thing to be an academic because I think it's seen as your job is to research and to write, right, for this prestige of the university, not to teach. That's a supplement to your job. It's not your yeah. main job. And so there's no professional training. There's no discussion of management of the classroom. There's no discussion of pedagogy. So, And it was very useful, I guess, as an experience because it just meant I had a, a seminar of you know, 22nd year undergrads and just come and be able to lead a two hour seminar, you know, yeah. with, with no training whatsoever. So all I did for preparation was just come up with lists and lists of questions to, to pose and to throw around. So in that sense, it was quite useful as a teacher mm. experience. I think it means I'm, I'm always creating discussion now in a real classroom, yeah, yeah. but I very easily, if I, if I hadn't put that effort in, they'd have had a completely crap experience and they probably still had a bit of a crap experience because I had no idea what I was doing. Mm. Um, so it's just so weird. When we get to that level, we think of university teaching as being so much more esteemed and requiring so much more knowledge, which to a degree it does. You do need to have a lot of subject knowledge. And yet there is so much less training mm. which and also so much less scrutiny, which is how you lead to someone like Frank who turns up pissed to his lectures, hates all his students, can't be asked. And there's no, and you do have to find that as well with established academics, way harder to try and do anything about that than yeah, a bad, yeah. a, a quote unquote bad school teacher yeah. who will get found pretty quick, yeah. right? I guess the irony of it all is that now for that experience at university, the, the student will pay, you know, £9,000 for the Absolutely. privilege. Whereas at school, for you go to a state school, it's free, right? Yeah. So all that effort for free education and for paid education, you're getting zero effort, right? Absolutely. The person teaching in a school is a better teacher than the person teaching at university. Right. 100%. And I think that's why a lot of students don't do as well as they think or anticipate that they would, even though it's narrowed down to a very specific field, and usually they enjoy that field. The learning experience is significantly different. It's a big jump, isn't it, to go to, and it is a jump that kids struggle with, particularly with this subject, a lot now, because the way they're taught in schools is, is a lot more spoon-fed, isn't mm. it? And it's much more exam-focused. And when you go to uni, you need to learn to, to actually think, to actually be a thinker. Mm. So it's a very different experience, I think, that kids aren't prepared to transition to. But also that university lecturers and seminar leaders and stuff aren't also being trained by universities in how to, and how to teach that skill either. Mm. So, I mean, don't get me wrong, there are some amazing lecturers, some fantastic modules being done. There's a lot of really, really good teaching, but it's, it's a bit of a lottery on whether or not that academic is gonna provide that. Mm. And I guess to be fair, now you're right, universities are much more of a, almost like a consumer model. So if there's a, a crap lecturer like, like Frank now, they would get, again, probably get found out because they'd all have rubbish student feedback and the students would be complaining to the uni. Mm. If they're paying nine grand a year and they're getting someone like Frank, he would probably be sacked off quite quick. So there is a lot of great teaching, but the thing that really struck me a lot was how little preparation I had at all to get into that classroom. Mm. You know, Frank clearly has a lot of contempt for his students. He actually says he wants to throw them out the window. But I think the, the key thing here is you kind of sympathise because all the students who meet are complete dicks. Yeah. <laughs> like, they're all so pretentious. If I, What do you think a pretentious person is? Because sometimes I think people overuse it and it just means someone who is genuinely like intellectual or at least trying to think through their ideas. But to me, pretension is saying a lot of stuff to make out to other people like you're very knowledgeable when you actually know nothing. All the conversations we see in the, in the classrooms aren't really conversations. They're people just impress each other with the knowledge that mm. they have accrued, right? Rita picks up Howard's end and he says that she can borrow it. She asks what assonance means. Did you know what it meant before? I'm not gonna lie, I'm glad you brought this up. She overhears a conversation, doesn't she, in the corridor mm -hmm. where like, and he didn't know what assonance was. In my 
my eyes, assonance is vowel sounds. It's just paying attention to vowel sounds. So I've never thought of it as a failed rhyme. It can work as a failed rhyme, but he, the example I guess that he's using is that it's where the rhyme clangs, right? And so she says, oh, it's when you get the rhyme wrong. And he's very charmed by that, right? Because it's not a pretentious mm -hmm. answer. It's a genuine response. What he's been looking for is someone who's genuinely responding to this literature, not just using it to file away as more cultural capital yeah. to, to consolidate their middle-classness, right? It's a turning point for him and her because he then says that he doesn't want to be her tutor because his students are crap and he is crap and they deserve crap but she's not crap and she doesn't deserve a tutor like him. The word crap comes up a lot, doesn't it? Because then she goes away with Forsh and comes back and she says she thinks he's crap. And I think anyone who's done an English literature degree can relate to, for me, it was Dombey and Son. Okay. I, I like Dickens, I do like Dickens a lot, but Dombey and Son is like ginormous novel. It's like 900 odd pages. And it is so boring. If Dickens wrote a 900 page book, somebody must have thought it was a good idea to publish it. Well, it's different then because he was serialised, right? So we, we read Dickens in an artificial way now because all his novels originally were published in newspapers chapter by chapter. Uh... So that's why they're so long and why they're written the way they are. So we, people were on tenterhooks wanting to know what was going on with Dombey So it's and like, so. it's almost like if someone wrote a book about EastEnders. You're right. I've never thought about that, but we are binge reading Dickens when really we should be reading it chapter by chapter. You're right. So whilst um, 900 pages sounds like horrific, now that you told me that they were in newspapers, mm -hmm. chapter by chapter, that sounds more digestible. Yeah, yeah, it does. And you're right, it affects the way the chapters are written because they end on not necessarily cliffhangers every time, but you want to keep going, right? Mm. But it, it was a moment I could really relate to because just when you get that book and you know you've got to write an essay on it or you've got to read the whole thing to understand the module and you really don't want to read it. And that is where I think everyone's studying English literature, which should be pleasurable. It's just mm. like, why am I doing this? Mm. <laughs> but she learns actually that that is part of being a student, right? That, and this is where I think the switch goes is that studying English literature is isn't just what people who don't like the student think it is, which is just waffling on about books all the time. It's actually learning about your culture and other cultures and how that's reflected in literature. And that doesn't necessarily mean enjoyment in a traditional sense, right? Mm -hmm. And she has that light bulb moment, doesn't she, where he says, you're a student, aren't you? And she says, I am actually a student, yeah. And she's quite pleased with herself, so it's quite a sweet moment, right? She's There's a glow in her. And she's reading Howard's End on the bus. Yes, yes, and she's like, yeah, I am a student, actually, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's quite sweet. There is a lot of snobbery that Frank has about what he calls pulp fiction, which is really interesting to watch now, especially as someone who wrote a PhD on pulp fiction, mm -hmm. because it's just... It's still, I guess, pushed again. A lot of students do still have this idea that it's true with Chaucer and Shakespeare. But actually, there's a lot of space now. She would have now had a lot of space to maybe analyse that pulp fiction that she was reading, mm. maybe analyse the representation of gender or analyse the language or whatever else. But she's learning here, isn't she? That Even though he says he's not a snob and he hates snobbery, he clearly is because he has no time for the stuff that she enjoys reading, mm. right? He's like, no, 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 now you're a student. You've got to elevate yourself, right? Yeah. You can't just read all this trash, basically. Yeah. So there's a real line here between and I think good he, and bad fiction. He, he struggles a little bit, as we like we do as teachers, because he, he loves that side of her where she's quite organic in her views and opinions, and, and she writes in it like the, the essay where she says, just put it on the radio, and that's a simple few-word answer, right? Mm -hmm. But he is trying to teach her to write to the exam. Mm. And I think as teachers, we can identify with that, where, you know, you want to give them the freedom to explore it in their own capacity, but at the same time, you know that the final destination is an exam. It is, it's weird as well, because I feel like, actually, in university-level 
learning it isn't about teaching to the exam it's the opposite of that so you are right it's weird that in this instance it's so about she mm. must pass her exam but i think it's because she has so little academic training yeah that, you know the, the kids who have already done their a levels and you know gone to public schools or whatever they already know how to write in this style whereas mm. she really doesn't she just writes very conversationally she doesn't yeah. get formal writing yeah. so it's a bit different she, for her. she writes like a year nine yeah exactly she has such a lack of cultural capital that she she literally is just writing like well, this was crap. We also meet Denny, her partner. He's a pretty stereotypical bloke, right? He just wants to go to the pub. He's not really interested in, in going to the theatre with her. He doesn't understand why she's bothering with all of this learning. Yeah, he wants he her wants, to have a baby. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he, he wants the, the life trajectory that he had in mind for his working class life, right? Mm -hmm. And I feel like, again, this is a vacuum in her learning. She's someone who's desperately in need of some feminism, right? Mm -hmm. She needs some she's some taking, female writers, pill, right? So she's she's on the yeah. pill, but she's taking it in secret. Yeah, she um, something in her is resisting this. So everyone around her is already having their babies. You know, she's being shamed because her is her sister's already pregnant yeah. and she's older, and it's like, what are you doing? Hurry up, hurry up, hurry up! You need to have your baby. And she just doesn't want to. She wants to become herself first, and she she doesn't have. I think she'd have, if she'd have read Virginia Woolf, like A Room of One's Own, that would have been life changing for her. But Frank never seems to identify that that might be literature that could really change her life he just keeps giving her the stuff that he likes which is Forster and mm. all these male writers she's a woman in a situation that needs feminism to understand why she's not happy in her situation right so she thinks there's just something wrong with her when actually what she wants is just to be a fuller human being right I think she's someone who would have been really excited by reading Virginia Woolf for example mm. or some feminist thinking that dates it doesn't really date the film because it does it wouldn't be usual for a lecturer like Frank to give those options to her. Even when she goes off to summer school, they're, they're not opportunities that are explored. Yeah. Feminism hadn't really infiltrated the academy yet, had yeah. it? Because so like the, the kind of most famous feminist, literary, academic kind of texts were coming out in the second wave of feminism in the 70s. So like Gilbert and Goo Bars, The Mad Woman in the Attic is a really famous one mm. that I learned when I did my OU degree, which analyses a lot of famous fiction from a feminist perspective mm. but he doesn't seem switched on to that kind of stuff yeah. much as he seems really bored and with the staleness of the he's rusty, academy he? he's also stale he's yeah, not yeah. discovering this and new thing. that's why thinking. he knows that he hasn't improved teaching however long he's been doing the job he's no good for her so mm -hmm. you know he approaches his approach is very similar he does say to her that she needs to discipline her mind and she says something along the lines well I'm more read than the examiner because she's obviously read a lot more popular culture fiction this is the first moment actually Actually, that she learns to be a snob right yeah and it's from him he when he says all that trash you were reading no 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 you gotta get rid of that that's yeah. just gonna corrupt your mind which is such a dated idea of like what's acceptable to read mm. and what isn't acceptable that I think we've moved past now the thing I just wanted to go back to Denny about was though what I did like about how he's portrayed is that he's not really a villain right like it would be very easy in like a, a, a film that wasn't as well written as this to make him an arsehole and make yeah. him abusive and yeah. make him like really aggressive and oafish yeah. but actually they have like you know he's Built, trying to knock through the wall and she takes a hammer to it and knocks it in and ruins yeah. it and he just sort of laughs and hugs her and he's quite he clearly yeah. enjoys her he's yeah. very typical but he, he clearly does love her but he just he's happy to conform isn't he to mm. what is expected and she just isn't and he doesn't articulate his his wants and his his thoughts very well and i think you know again another stereotype of that that generation of men who weren't really open about their feelings and and their thoughts and 
would literally just say, you're doing as I'm saying, and that's that. Yeah. Because he takes her books and he burns them, doesn't he? Yeah, so that's when he does become a bit of a villain, right? Where, so later when he finds out she is on the pill and has been lying to him, he burns. Yeah. Burns all her her literature. And we we do see before that as well that she's really struggling to fit studying into her life, even without children and her job and stuff. She hasn't got space to write. She's always been pressured to just go to the pub or do something else. And she's really struggling to just have a room of her own to just study She actually reads on the job. She actually, she, Mm -hmm. she gets more reading done at the salon i think i think it's one of the themes that seems to be like a through thread of all the films are watching is like education as a space of conformity right mm. so like in dead poet society the school is a space in which these boys are quite oppressively made to conform to their mm. class right and what is expected of them here though it's the opposite as a working class woman education is a way of resisting conformity isn't it and mm. becoming something different and something better and I, than I like the fact that she's studying an art to do that rather than mm. You know, going back to university and studying, I don't know, medicine or, or becoming a lawyer or something like that. Anyone who studies those subjects would have the same resistance. That that's a dead end job. What are you think? Yeah, and that's that. At? You're right. That is key. She doesn't have practical aspirations. She she wants to be a better and fuller human being. And she rightly, I think, understands that English literature is the space in which she'll be able to do that, right? To explore the human condition. It's the first time you see the arts being presented in a very positive life Mm. to better someone's life. Yeah, it's it's a very idealised image of what studying literature is, right? But it does seem to work for her. She does become a fuller and more confident person who understands Mm. the world better. Mm. So I guess it is quite idealised in that way. We do see then, after the book burning, the world's mixed. She turns up whilst Frank is actually lecturing at the window and they all just laugh at her. But she has to tell him because she saw Macbeth, right? She went to go and see it in the theatre. And again, I think this is where you see she's such a, a kind of wonderful character because she's just so excited mm. in a really pure, unmediated, unpretentious way about this play. And she just has to talk about it's it. It's one of my favourite scenes, actually. Mm. You know, it resonates with me quite a bit. Most recently, when we were doing about environmental impacts on uh, our lifestyle and sustainability, and a student actually got so into that lesson, went away, did their own research and came back with like counter arguments for certain stuff that I'd said. And for me, the fact that they carried on thinking about my lesson after my lesson is a, a good symbol of effective learning. Yeah, well, I guess it's like, you know, there's all this talk about like discovery-based learning versus instruction-based and all that stuff. But really, if you think about it, discovery-based learning is ultimately the end point of all learning, isn't it? Mm. Ultimately, all learners need to get to a point where they're discovering stuff for themselves mm. and doing most of it themselves. And it's only that, surely that is the end point. That's what university learning is, certainly, mm. isn't it? You are left to your own devices and you get your lectures and your seminars, but otherwise you are out there on your own. And she's exactly the kind of person who will thrive in this, even though maybe if she had gone, she probably went to, you know, some rubbish comprehensive or whatever where she wasn't nurtured where she probably didn't ever get the opportunity to explore Mm. her own learning where she was just stuffed with quite basic knowledge Mm. you know I guess you can see the limitations of that with this character she needs someone to just give her a ticket to Macbeth well this is it what I love is that she knocks on his window she's that excited that she can't even come round and go to the door she knocks on the window to say like it's really really urgent he comes out and it's like you know what is it what is it what is it like it seems like life or death she's like Macbeth wasn't his wife a cow (laughs) just her interpretation in those words and you know when we get the kids to study Macbeth and we tell them to explore the character and to go in depth of what did Lady Macbeth insinuate by doing this pure and simple 
Wasn't she a cow? Yeah. And I think it's nice they choose Macbeth because I do think Macbeth is a play that you do viscerally respond to. You know, when Lady Macbeth has that line about wanting to dash the brains out of her child to prove to her husband that how committed she is to mm. him. Or when she talks about her breast milk becoming like acid. Like it's very visceral mm. language that anybody can understand. And that's the thing. Shakespeare's plays, much as they're very ornately written and intricate, they do have mass appeal. That's why mm. they survive so long. You can just watch it not having knowing a single thing about Macbeth and understand what's happening and mm. be involved mm. and so much of learning those plays in schools I guess just completely ruins that experience and makes it so joyless sometimes do you think because I do feel like the, the bits of Shakespeare we did at school I enjoyed it I think we did Romeo Juliet Merchant of Venice I love the Merchant of Venice we did, went to grammar school so we, I do think we learned Shakespeare in quite a different way because I remember enjoying Shakespeare a lot and I think the key of that is we just used to read them a lot and I guess you know because the kids who were studying it were at a level where we could just read the plays and talk about them yeah. whereas now it's like I know some people for example would do the play bit by bit and they don't want to give away what happens which is effective that's how you would watch the play I think one of the lines that dates this film the most is this part here where she, she gives a response to Macbeth and he, he says that she's kind of like charming and funny and she actually rightly I think gets quite offended by that and she's like I don't, I don't want to be funny and charming she doesn't want to be this mm cute scouser who he thinks is so charming because she can't speak properly and doesn't mm. articulate her thoughts in a very intellectual way and she says she feels like a an, an half cast which is just a line which is a, a term you just don't hear anymore but it's interesting that she feels that like the class divide is so strong that that's what she is she's someone who's just stuck in between yeah because after that scene she he's taken her back into the classroom mm. and when he's like discussing Macbeth she says but why right and the rest of the class kind of laugh at her mm. so she 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 is quite upset by that whole scenario and consequently also feels patronized by Frank's response to her yeah and I think you kind of see here why this is someone who actually is probably better suited to the OU than universities as they were then because it just feels like all a university is is an institution to perform being middle class in a way she's never going to really mm. get but she starts to desperately want doesn't she once yeah. she gets contact with the real students quote unquote mm. that that her learning switches from just wanting to learn stuff because she enjoys it to wanting to learn properly how to articulate herself quote unquote properly yeah. how to behave properly so when she gets the invite to Frank's dinner party. his dinner party you see her rehearsing don't you like yeah. how, and she has no idea how to be in this space what to talk about how to dress like and so eventually can't even go because she just feels so out of place when she gets to the window and she she sees how they're dressed and how they're like laughing throwing their heads back and she, I think she clocks Frank is also, his body language is very different in that scenario. So I mm. think she's really put off. So what would have been her comfort space and her safe zone with Frank at that dinner party, she almost feels like he's someone different yeah. in, that, in that setting. So chooses not to go in. Yeah. Um, and he's really pissed off with her. He's yeah, really, he doesn't get he it. Does, he doesn't he's get it. He's quite an insensitive character. He doesn't, I, I, I think he, he is quite an unlikable character throughout. Really. He doesn't seem to understand why that would be difficult for her or why mm. that might be delicate for her. He's quite condescending. He sees her as this just this young woman who kind of, his purpose seems to be to freshen up his life. He never really thinks about why that might be difficult for her to be so different to everyone that's around her. I think maybe my favourite, almost certainly one of the more complicated scenes, I think, in this whole thing is when she writes her response to Macbeth mm. and he says, it's moving that he really likes her response but it's worthless if what they're judging is you're going to pass the exam right and so this is where you really see the tension between them she's like right it's crap then chuck it away I want to learn how to write it properly mm. and he said but you're going to lose what he thinks is valuable which is her freshness and the fact yeah. that she's not 
been trained to think in the same way that everyone else he knows has. But also at this point, she's going through life-changing events. Her husband's left her. She's, I think she's quit her job and she's moved on to a different job. Yeah, so her life um, starts to start not really fall apart, but actually really come together, right? So yeah. she, she loses her marriage. She moves in with this woman, Trish, yeah. who becomes like her other mentor, mentor another yeah. mentor. But this is a mentor in sort of being the woman that she wants to be, which yeah. is a middle-class refined person, yeah. right? Because Trish is extremely posh. She needs Frank to now be constructive and not be like, hold on to that kind of airy-fairiness. She needs him now to make sure that this degree is a success. Yeah. She, like, failure is not an opportunity And I think now. the thing is, I just think Frank is fundamentally wrong. He seems to think that if she learns how to write properly, she's going to lose her unique perspective, when really, writing properly is just the ability to articulate what you think to the best of your ability, right? Mm. So really, what it should be about is enabling her to keep her perspective, to keep the idea that Lady Bess a cow, and just articulate that with more nuance. That's really what that is. And she's not losing anything there. She's becoming articulate and intelligent by doing that. But he sees it as she's losing something, which I think is just wrong. Learning to write better and like write well is losing nothing of yourself. But I think it's also, it shows how dated teaching methods were. Mm -hmm. I mean, I teach a subject where there's always a right or wrong answer. There's very little room for imagination and creativity in the final answer. I think English is much less like that now. And that's why it used to be one of the most popular subjects and now it's not because it's become much more exam focused. Right. It's much more like Frank seems to think it is, which is you learn to write in a very formulaic, usually point evidence explanation, zoom link type format for an exam. Mm. And you just do that five times and you do three connotations per thing. And it's almost mathematized a bit like the scale we saw in depot society that he tells them to rip out. Mm. It's almost like that in that your essays are, the scaffolding I think it's gone a bit too far, right? It's like everything must be exactly. So I've had so many times where I've taught people and they're like, oh, but what about my Zoom? I haven't Zoomed here and haven't, and like they're not really getting the point of what they're doing. It's very formulaic. Mm. And so students don't like it so much now because it is very, tends to be roped in the way that they're yeah. taught because it's so focused on passing the GCSE. When actually the top marks the GCSE award originality, so it's quite ironic. Because yeah. you know, all scaffolding is designed to be taken away. Mm. Right. But we see the first moment here then where she starts to break away from Frank when she goes to the summer school, right? Yeah. Which I never got the experience to do in the OU because it was all online. So I, I did my exams in an exam hall, but I never had a summer school or anything. The Open Uni is based in Milton Keynes and the exams that I went to were somewhere in the black country. Oh. We see her development here because she actually asks a question in her lecture and she stands up and she speaks in front of everyone and she comes back so confident and she had such an amazing time and this is the first time we see that this is actually disconcerting for frank because he gives her blake is really excited to give her blake and she's like oh yeah and she just reels off the poem the whole poem she knows it because there was a lecturer in her summer school who taught her it yeah. and you, this is where you first see his jealousy oh, she's blossoming and he's just uncomfortable with that because yeah. he isn't blossoming he's stagnant he says that you know from now on my name is shelly king her because obviously she's given her name to Rita after Rita Mae Brown. And now he's like, yeah, you can call me Shelley from now on. I've changed my name. <laughs> she's dropped Rita. And the only person who's been calling her Rita is Frank. Yeah, so we do see the part of the, what she does lose here is, so although she's becoming more articulate and more educated and more confident in her own intellectual abilities, she's also consciously becoming more middle class, right? So she has a bit of a makeover. She doesn't have the brassy hair anymore. She dresses in a much more casual style. She starts trying to speak in an upper class way in that mm. like Queen's English type way because Trish tells her that there's no point learning beautiful literature if you're saying in an ugly voice. When actually, of course, 
her accent's great and it was much nicer than this fake accent she's putting on yeah. now. So there's two things are happening, aren't there? One is that she's becoming this real thinker and that's really exciting. But the other part is that she is, she's now conforming to her new class, right? Of yeah. educated middle-class people. The film assumes there's no route. You can't be working class and educated. There doesn't seem to be any option for her to keep her accent and her, her brassy hair and her white high heels and also read Blake, the great thinkers mm -hmm. and comment on them. It's like to be taken seriously, she realizes she's gonna have to fit in, mm -hmm. right? And she seems happy to fit in with the middle classes in a way she wasn't happy to fit in with the working yeah. classes, right? There's a glamour to it almost. Yeah, absolutely. And whilst she is getting everything that she wanted, Frank's life is spiraling out of control. He finds out his partner's been having an affair. She leaves him and he starts drinking more. He turns up to that one lecture, stupidly drunk, and he stands at the front and he talks about assonance and Macbeth and he starts reading off yeah. all the things that she said yeah. that he really liked yeah. right but now in this kind of bitter way the scene at the bistro where I was really on her side in that scene because it seemed like she was just asking him to do his job which was help her pass her exams and he was getting offended by that yeah. well he's hurt isn't he because he's fallen for her do you see do you, this is such an interesting element is it is he in love with her? Do you think that's what implicitly is going on? Because by the end, it seems like he is. Right. His jealousy is clearly there because every time she mentions Tiger, Mr. Tyson, yes. he, he gets really defensive and he gets really sarcastic and snarly. There's definitely something there. Now, you can interpret it as he has got romantic feelings for her or he could be that mental guidance kind of person where all of a sudden he's not needed and he feels like he's been brushed to one side and that's not a nice feeling either and that can bring out that side of someone I, it seems like by the end of the film when he invites her to come with him to Australia right mm -hmm. that's when it seems like the, the implicit kind of attraction he has for her comes to the forefront yeah. but I really like that it is never consummated that yeah. actually it stays platonic yeah. and that actually by the end of the film he's they've both got really what they wanted mm -hmm. which was he's now got a new lease of life and he's got to see her grow and develop and she's got the education she really yeah. wanted, right? She is educated now and she has got yeah. what she I mean, desiring. The, let's just go back a little bit. He gives his poetry to Rita and her, Rita and Trish both together, they discuss and they analyse and they, they look into it and she goes back and gives him good feedback. But he's dismissive of her feedback, isn't Yeah, he? and to me, that is very much because what, that, what she's doing here is not accepting the power imbalance that was there previously. Previously, it was top down, wasn't it? He got to fill her mind with all this literature that he knows and she gets to just soak that up and be so grateful for it whereas now she's actually analyzing his work yeah. even though she's doing it in a complimentary way and saying this is great you should mm. publish it implicitly the power that she's treating him as an equal mm. and i think implicitly he doesn't like that he mm. doesn't want her to be able to analyze his poetry he wants to be i think he has this real bullshit self-romanticization of this tortured poet who no one understands in his class when she's like no that's all nonsense this is good poetry you should just publish it like why are you making this so complicated for yourself so in i guess in a sense it's like him acknowledging despite the fact that he hates all the elitism that surrounds him that he is an elitist mm -hmm. he doesn't really want her to develop um which is why i think it's right that she breaks away from him she mm -hmm. needs to I think. absolutely so she does her exam which is that really nice moment where it's the question he posed to her right at the beginning it's yeah. p against that's what it yeah. is when because she, she knows now how to answer this properly right so it's a real like full circle moment yeah and the other thing we should probably touch on is that trish um commits suicide right? oh yeah which i think is important because i think that is that signals to me the death of rita trying to be this middle-class woman that she yeah. thinks is her ideal right she realizes trish isn't an ideal she's just a, a very flawed person yeah. So rather than trying to imitate her, she kind of learns implicitly, I guess, to be her own person, right? It's like the death of her middle-class aspirations. Mm. So really now she's got all the education without all of the conceit and the bullshit and the mm. pretentiousness. And that allows the film, I guess, to end with everyone kind of happy, right? With the 
conclusion. She does say at the end that he's a good teacher, do we agree? I would say he requires improvement. There are good aspects of his teaching. He certainly needs to improve on his relationship with his students. He certainly needs to improve on the drinking habit. <laughs> yeah, not rolling up steaming. Yeah. I mean, I feel like he goes to Australia at the end. It doesn't really say what he does in Australia, but I imagine he will be a better teacher there. Quote Amy Squirrel, students teach me as much as I teach them. Yeah. I feel like Frank should have said that at the you're, end of the film. You are such an Amy Squirrel stan. You love Amy Squirrel. You're right, it's in, he, this is a good example of a teacher who's been in an institution for too long, mm. needs, a, needs a new lease of life, needs to be around different students, has become way too jaded, isn't offering his students anything of value, doesn't care about their learning. Either leave the profession or go somewhere else, right? Mm. So hopefully... I would, I would say that, you know, there were good lessons here. She's made a lot... You said to me that off the base on does the student make progress and Rita absolutely makes a lot of progress, but I don't think he can take all the credit for that. A lot of that is from herself. A lot of that is from herself. I think summer school was a big growth experience for her. Yeah. I think the OU curriculum really suited her. Educating Rita as a film is a great poster for the Open University. I agree. Um, I, I think it's, I, you know, it's not a film I think that is massively well known now. No, I think it's, it's it was around, I know, like you obviously did it in school and stuff, but I feel like it's kind of, because it's quite a small film, isn't it? It's not, you know, it's about two characters and it's it's quite subtle, I guess. It, yeah. You can tell it's based on a play, but it is really worth watching it. And it is a brilliantly filmed British film. Yeah, beautifully written. One thing I didn't like was when she says that he's given her everything and she's given him nothing, because I think you're right. I think that's bullshit. I think they both learn a lot from each other mm. and actually a lot of what he attempted to teach her was was damaging you know which was that when you get to a certain level this isn't how you should you better for you to articulate yourself in a, a crude way than it is to articulate yourself in a more nuanced way because actually that's more charming to me as a jaded middle class man right mm. and i think i'm glad that she ignored that lesson i guess i should say yeah um and i like to think that she discovers feminism and she becomes like this badass like university lecturer who does gender studies or something. That's what I imagine for her. Okay, yeah, I, I but, can see her doing that. But even if she goes back into hairdressing or stays at the bistro or whatever, she's still going to really value this education for its own sake. I think that's what, yeah. what's nice about it. There's no sense of she's now going to enter the middle classes. It's just that she's got the education she wanted and that in itself was its own reward. Yeah. I mean, there isn't very many films that puts such an importance or such positivity on university studies no and it really is about the desire to learn isn't it yeah. um and about and i think it has to be about that because it's about someone who would never have expected that yeah. right which is again why this film couldn't really work certainly wouldn't work in our generation or maybe even the 90s because this was a point at which it wasn't something that kids from these kind of backgrounds didn't go to uni and certainly not to study english literature you know it just it was very rare for that to happen mm. so it was just that starting point uh, which, you know, we, we're a generation of readers. We all went to uni, you know. I know plenty of working class kids that went to uni and were the first in their families to do so. Mm. So we're going to say then, if he maybe requires improvement based on what we see, but she's certainly an outstanding learner. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she's, she's definitely an outstanding learner and I would happily have her in my class. Definitely. I think if you haven't seen this film, watch it. It really honestly is a really good watch and it, it really refreshed me as well. It made me feel more yeah. excited to learn and more yeah. excited to, to go back to my subjects as, as well. 
Thank you for listening to us today. Follow us on social media. We're on Twitter at Film Class Pod and also on Instagram on the same handle. Also, you can send us an email at filmclasspod at gmail.com. Send us over any comments, any suggestions. Thank you so much as well to Kevin McLeod for our music, Night in Venice. You can find all of Kevin's work in competech.filmmusic.io and the license is at Creative Commons. See you next week. See ya.